Local news, talk, sports, and the hits of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Kane 107.5. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Bayou Sports here on a big hump day Wednesday, January the 11th. And, uh, well, get ready for the NFL playoffs this weekend as uh, uh, some big games uh, Twelve teams uh, initially will play this weekend. Of course, the two number one ranked teams in the AFC and the NFC uh, have bye weeks. And uh, right now, those are the uh, Kansas City Chiefs along with uh, the uh, NFC leader, um, uh, the Eagles. <laughs> the Eagles, man, just it's still a little early. Anyway, the Eagles uh, have buys this weekend. So, and if... Uh, Whoever wins their games, uh, they don't uh, reseed, but what they'll do, the number one seeds will play the lowest uh, seed that has uh, won this weekend. So uh, that could be number could be number uh, seven team uh, that won, or it could be the six, or depending on uh, upset. So uh, waiting for that all to happen this weekend. And uh, with that, of course, if you were with us uh, last night, uh, the Catholic High Boys basketball team uh, – Took on a um, Ascension Episcopal team that uh, was having a pretty good year too. They were fourteen and six, two and zero in district, having uh, beaten both their district foes by twenty points. Uh, and uh, one of the teams that uh, the Ascension Episcopal teams uh, had beaten was West Saint Mary, which Catholic High fell to uh, last week by two. They had beaten them by twenty. Well, Catholic High uh, last night starts off pretty quickly. They build a an eight zero lead, then uh, at the end of the first quarter. Uh, the score is uh, 12 to, believe it or not, 12 to 2. And the only bucket that uh, the Blue Gators scored was on a breakaway layup on a steal by uh, one of their players. Uh, and Catholic High leads 12 to 2 and uh, go into halftime at 22 to 6 as the young man that also had the breakaway basket gets another one. That's the only buckets they score all, uh, in the first half other than uh, two free throws. Uh, by one of their players, and it's 22-6. to six. Catholic High is looking pretty good last night, and uh, lo and behold, uh, come out in the third quarter, and uh, some of their better players uh, get some quick baskets, and before you know it, it's uh, 28-24 here in the fourth quarter, and uh, the the um, the Blue Gators uh, outscore the Panthers 15-6 to six to make that game tight, but the Panthers go on to outscore them 16-9 to nine in the uh, fourth quarter to win a big district game, get back on the winning trail by a score of 44-30 to 30 here on Kane Radio last night. And, uh, Jeff, uh, the Panthers uh, played pretty well, uh, got a lot of rebounds, uh, leading them in scoring last night. Uh, they only had one player in double figures uh, with uh, Chris Green, the sophomore, calling him one of the triplets along with Jaden Mitchell and Tristan Lewis, the three sophomores that all started as freshmen uh, last year. Of course, uh, Mitchell comes back with nine, and uh, Mitchell, Tristan uh, uh, Lewis, rather, only had five points. Uh, other scores for the Panthers was Joab Trosclair, who's a uh, new face for the Panthers last night. He's six 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 seven. I don't know if he weighs 170 pounds, but he had uh, nine points last night and had five in the first quarter and seven at halftime. Had a big bucket uh, late in the game in the fourth quarter. And uh, he can uh, – don't know his classification. I've heard anywhere from a freshman to a uh, sophomore. And if he's got two to three more years of eligibility left along with the triplets, the Panthers could uh, have some pretty good teams in the meantime uh, right now uh, in regard to high school uh, basketball. So uh, should be interesting here on uh, Kane Radio for the next few years. Elsewhere, I, I didn't hear of many other basketball scores last night, too. Uh, Jeff, I was searching around in score stream, and um, I saw where Westgate got beat by St. Thomas Moore. Boy, just a down year for Coach Olivier. They got beat by St. Thomas Moore, 57-23. to 23. Uh, Hard to uh, fathom that. Uh, elsewhere, Franklin took down Delcom, uh 69-34. to 34. Uh, Jenneret gets past uh, Hanson Memorial by the score 67-66. to 66. Other area scores, West St. Mary beats Acadiana Renaissance Charter School 69-41. Of course, uh, the Acadiana Renaissance uh, team uh, is in District 8-2A, but they do not uh, play football currently right now. Didn't have a score. Highland Baptist was supposed to play Lorville last night. 
and that was co that was girls action excuse me but usually when the girls and the boys play uh those usually yeah, that's a non-district game that's true so you're right about that elsewhere uh erath uh went to same uh came uh say martinville came to erath and beat them 72 to 41 uh, any other local scores? Uh, got Nish beating Opelousas, 54-36. to 36. All right. And is the Yellow Jackets still undefeated to you? No, knowledge? they lost uh, the semifinal of a tournament, a tournament, All right. a, a tournament uh, over the weekend, I think at Turling's Catholic, but then won the uh, third-place game. Okay, so they consolation won game. Two, okay. two more games uh, since that loss. So uh, in the area, uh, high school basketball teams are, are playing pretty well uh, in that regard. So uh, Panthers last night get a big win over a district foe to get back in the winning ways. Forgive me, did you okay. have the Generette score? Yeah, they okay. uh, got past Hanson. 67-66, yeah. okay. was it? Was Franklin it? beat Delcom 69-34. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Anyway, David uh, Thibodeau beat Lafayette Christian 60 to 49. And again, cursoring through these, uh, some other area scores. Uh, let's see. Friends at uh, St. Martinville beat Arath 72 to 41. St. Thomas Moore, you, you mentioned yes, that game. Yes. Turlings beat Karen Crow 52 to 51. Vermilion Catholic over Covenant Christian 69 to 19. And you mentioned West St. Mary. Let me um, go to the ladies' scores. And again, scores uh, reported to the Associated Press uh, from the region going through. And again, just uh, looking for the local schools. Hanson beat Generette 54-36 in ladies' action. It was Lafayette Christian beating Southern Lab 67-60. And uh, see, didn't they didn't have the uh, Lauraville... Highland game here okay. either. And let's see. Any other area scores? Southside beat High well here it says Southside beat Highland Baptist forty seven to forty. St. Martinville ladies beat Erath forty one to thirty three. And uh, see there was a cancellation, Highland Baptist versus Virgil Brown Glencoe Charter, so I'm not sure what that's and Lauraville versus Highland Baptist uh canceled that was girls action maybe that was tournament uh, stuff i'm not sure yes what, uh, not, happened yeah. there because again highland did play a game last night apparently but not uh, those other games yeah <laughs> i'm a little confused oh i hear you anyway of course that's coming from fans uh, in a well, lot of instances AP, oh yeah. ap okay well the score stream was coming from fans which i uh, generally pick up and all but uh, changing gears a little bit, uh, hope to have a guest on at 7.30 this morning uh, uh, in regards to uh, uh, officiating. In, elsewhere, the Carlos Correa uh, journey uh, hopefully uh, ended last night. As well, if anybody <laughs> knew his status, it was Minnesota. <laughs> well, it, it went a roundabout, uh, so to speak, and uh, he agreed to a three-year, 30 uh, uh, uh or oh, two hundred million dollar deal, just three years. Yeah, uh, six years. Excuse me. I was going to say. Yeah, uh, six years. Excuse me. Uh, That's a considerably shorter, but maybe more per year. Uh, three hundred. Well, thirty three point three million a year if you do the math. Uh, anyway, pending the uh, uh, the physical. I mean, uh, he did play with the uh, Twins last year. Uh, had a pretty good year, too. Unless they uh, think there's something that has happened since the end of last season. Anyway, you know, basically back in November, November 7th last year, he opted out of his three-year $105.3 million deal with the Twins after one season becoming a free agent. Then in December, he agreed to a 13-year $350 million deal with the Giants, which would have been the fourth largest contract in Major League history. Then on December the 20th, 20th, San Francisco backs out of the deal over concerns with a physical. It was later reported that those concerns had to do with his long-term uh, sustainability on his right leg, which was surgically repaired in 2014. Then on the 21st of December last year, the Mets swoop in, agreed a 12-year, $350 million deal. 
course, the Mets expressed the same concerns as the Giants after performing their own physical, leaving the deal in limbo. Then on January 10th of this year, the Twins, who had offered Korea a 10-year, $285 million contract before he chose the Giants, agreed to uh, a six-year, $200 million deal with the star shortstop. And between the lines, the first six years and $200 million will be guaranteed pending his physical, and the deal could grow as much as 10 years and $270 million through the performance ability, uh, availability. Anyway, Jeff, uh, the injured riddle star, uh, <laughs> anyway, they gave Byron Buxton uh, a similar incentive, laden seven-year deal for $100 million. Uh, Korea has lost significant time with his injury over his career, mostly from 17 to 19, but never because of his right leg. He's been relatively durable since then, playing in 300 in 42 of a possible 384 games. So uh, by the numbers, uh, anyway, he is a fine shortstop. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, Robin Yao, Cal Ripken, they're the only ones with a war that produced more war numbers than him in the last uh, few years and all. So uh, interesting uh, by that fact. Anyway, according to John Hyman with the New York Post, the major part of his physical is already done. Uh, apparently including the ankle at issue, so there's nothing foreseen to stop Korea's return to the Twins. Yeah. Anyway, uh, meanwhile, you know, Monday night uh, over in San Diego, they had the big national championship game, uh, which only drew 17.2 million people. That's the lowest uh, viewership since 1999, since uh, the that championship series began uh, a little over 20 years ago. And uh, um, it's uh, brought about uh, with regards to numbers, uh, you know, TCU being uh, – you know, a lot of people like to watch the underdog in these games uh, come through. Of course, TCU had a rough night against the Georgia Bulldogs, losing 65-7. Uh, to 7. And, uh, of course, uh, they can honestly say they played for a national championship uh, last Monday night with the TCU Horn Frogs. Um, and I'm trying to find if uh, any other scores to that nature or information to that nature. But uh, anyway, um, we'll see what uh, comes forth. Uh, of course, is Georgia the new Bama, or is, does Bama come back? Uh, who knows? With uh, uh, And, of course, Kirby Smart being a disciple of Nick Saban, I think, if not one of the first coaches to defeat Saban of his uh, pupils. So, uh, anyway, Jeff, don't know if you have anything else. Our guest has arrived, and I thought maybe we'd take a, a quick break and get him on the air to let him talk about his experiences as a, uh, an official in uh, high school, uh, junior college, and uh, major college football. Is it time for a new roof or to repair the old one? Hi, this is Jake Blanchard with L.A. Classic Roofing. We're a third-generation roofing contractor that has been in the business for over 70 years. As a locally owned and operated company, we're also licensed and insured for your peace of mind. We offer free estimates and a $100 referral fee for full roof replacement. Check us out on Facebook at L.A. Classic Roofing. And the number to call is 465-3888. L.A. Classic Roofing, professional roofing solutions since the 1950s. Nowadays, none of us can be without adequate insurance coverage, but we still want to be sure we're getting the best value for the money. That's why so many people call the Schwing Insurance Agency to get a quote. The Schwing family has been handling the insurance needs of businesses and homeowners for almost 80 years. You can depend on Schwing Insurance to find the coverage you need at the best price. So before you buy a new policy or renew an existing one, call the Schwing Insurance Agency for a quote at 365-2357. Schwing Insurance, 300 East Main, across from the shadows. Hey guys, if you're looking for the top golf experience in Iberia Parish, you need to look no further than Cane Row Golf and Turf Club. Low or high handicappers will enjoy the beautiful greens, the recently refurbished sand traps, and incredibly plush fairways. And by the way, you don't have to be a golfer to enjoy Cane Row. The brand new clubhouse sports some of the best burgers, pizza, wings, and many other choices along with absolutely the best, most potent margaritas that you've ever tried. So whether it's golf, food, or just some fun, come to Cane Row and enjoy. Landry has been traveling around District 49 talking to friends and neighbors about bringing prosperity and economic freedom to all our citizens. As we visited with thousands of people across our great district, many asked, how can we get involved in moving our district forward? Join us by going to jacoblandryforlouisiana.com where you can easily sign up and join our campaign. Go to jacoblandryforlouisiana.com and register now to join us. Paid for by the Jacob Landry for Louisiana campaign. Now back to Bayou Sports. Phone lines are open to talk sports at 367-1240. 
Welcome back to Bayou Sports here on a big Wednesday hump day, January the 11th. And in the Kane Studios with us is uh, a referee, uh, insurance agent extraordinaire. And uh, Jesse Dupuy, good morning and welcome to uh, Bayou Sports. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Glad to have, be here. Anyway, uh, just to uh, talk with you uh, the other morning last week about uh, I'd like to get you on the air. And uh, I know that you have uh, been highly involved as an official in sports. Uh, in uh, football through the course of the years, of course, uh, playing for Nish back in uh, the late 70s, uh, having played for a state championship. Uh, wish they would have never moved that game to uh, Cajun Field, but uh, it worked out that way. Cold, cold night. Don't know if the players felt that night. Uh, but uh, Well, if you remember, both the semifinal game and the final game was played at ULF. Yeah, I, I well, forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about that uh, and, semifinal uh, game back yeah. in 79, December that's, 79. That's correct, and and – the, the temperature for both games uh, was very cold. Uh, and for a South Louisiana guy who, who's never played in the cold before, uh, that was a little bit of shocking. Yeah, uh, a pretty situation. good uh, niche team, too, with uh, the players that they had back then. Patrick Gidry was uh, one of the running backs on that team. I think Poo Alexis uh, was on that team also. Uh, Donovan Primo, was he also on that team uh, that year? I'm just trying to recall the, some of those guys that played on that niche team back in the late 70s. Yeah, the guys, um, you know, when you take a look at um, the team that we had, we really uh, were overachievers. Um, if you remember in that year, I think the um, sports writers basically had us uh, at the bottom of the district uh, in finishing. And as it turned out, um, you know, it was Bobby Keesler's first year. That's right. Um, and basically a lot of the guys that were on the team were pretty excited about Bobby coming in. And, and I think that had a lot to do with it. You know, we, we felt like uh, we didn't want to disappoint him. And uh, for a lot of us who were just average players, quite honestly, um, we we really uh, played our best uh, during the game, and and for that, you know, it's um, it's exciting to look back mm-hmm. at some of the teams that we beat, and some of the talented kids that we played um, to to see how well we did. Yeah, and uh, so that that was pretty exciting. Bucky Croson, Joe Bruce are two more players that uh, had an opportunity to play at the next level. Uh, Bucky at the UL and Gerald at Tulane. So. Uh, they were others on that team uh, that uh, had an opportunity to play fourth. And, uh, of course, the year before uh, with uh, Gordon King, I think, was the coach uh, the year before if uh, you were playing uh, maybe as a junior, sophomore that year. Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, Gordon left when Johnny Hector left. Right? Okay. So Johnny, Johnny graduated in 1979. Uh, that was his last year, and it was also Gordon's last year. Yeah, that's the fall of 78 uh, that, in that regard. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, Jesse, you uh, had the opportunity. After high school, uh, uh, you didn't have an opportunity to play at the next level. And uh, tell us, how did you get involved into officiating? How did that come about? Uh, what, uh, what drove you? Yeah, well, that's a funny story because, um, you know, at that time um, I, was, I was in school um, and looking for part-time work, right? And so one of my best friends, Tim Lawson, uh, his dad, Al Malasson, who no, is Al. now uh, deceased. Yes. But uh, Al was working high school football, just retired, and uh, was the encouragement to Tim and I to go out and work high school football. Not necessarily because he thought that we would enjoy the work, but more so that he was tired of giving Tim money uh, <laughs> to go and, and party with. So he said, look, it's time for you guys to start on, earning your own money. And, and so we started working high school football. And and, uh, you know, we started working junior high, freshman high, JV games. And uh, in my second year of working high school football, um, I ended up with my first varsity game. And so I, th- I believe that's back in uh, 85, maybe, somewhere okay. around that level. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, that's, that's basically what it was. It was out of the necessity to have spending money. All right. Changing, you hear that jingle in your pocket because you like that folding stuff, I'm sure better. Yes, yes. <laughs> the stuff that doesn't make noise. That's right. That's right. 
And as you proceed through that levels, uh, of course, in high school, you had your first opportunity in high school uh, football here. Uh, did you have to go through like a, maybe you go with the Class A teams, AA, AAA, or how, how did that come about? Yeah, so, so your level of work in high school was determined by the assignment secretary. And at that time, Dan Bloom, um, who was also a college official, uh, was the assignment secretary. And basically, they would take uh, guys who were uh, skilled at what they did and put them in the big ball games. And, and in high school, you didn't work in crews. You basically got a, an assignment every week, and you were assigned with different groups of guys. And as uh, time progressed, um, I, get, I came pretty good at what I was doing in and I was working um, just about, and, and whether it was a 4A or 5A game, uh, really didn't matter. What really mattered was what game was the hottest contest. And so they would take the best officials and put them in those games. And, and, and now they try to spread out the talent. Uh, as you know, high school officiating uh, is on the decline. It's, it's tough to find enough officials to be able to uh, handle all of the Friday night games, which now has caused some high schools, uh, in fact, I think all high schools yeah. now, to work, uh, to play some of their games on Thursday. That's correct. That's and in correct. New Orleans, I think they're, they're playing on Saturday. That's so, right. A lot, uh, lot of that stadium issues, too, sharing stadiums. But that, That's true. That's yeah. true. I, th- I, I think that that's part of it. But the main driving force right now is having warm bodies to be able mm. to officiate the game. And what we're finding is that we're, you know, you know speaking of the crisis of officiating, um, is that we're having guys that have two years experience, three years experience working games that mm. took me five or six years oh, to wow. get to work those games. And as a consequence, people then now are talking about, well, you know, officiating is bad. And, and it's not that it's bad. It's they're doing the best that they can. And in this craft, it takes a while to understand, number one, what you're to be doing, where are you to be looking, and the mechanics involved in all of that process. And so it's not something that anybody could do. Uh, just throw them out on the field and they could officiate a football game. It's a funny thing. Um, the SEC um, wanted to change the tide of what the media thought of officiating. And uh, the SEC invited all of the ESPN um, commentators. And as you know, they, there are a bunch of them. And they invited the top personalities to come in and work an Alabama scrimmage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they put these commentators at each one of the eight positions on the field with an experienced official behind them to tell them what they ought to be looking for. And to the person, to the, the, the talent that was on the field, each one of them did not realize how tough it was to work a game. And, well, I can believe that. And so, you know, it, it, you know, and we're talking about speed that is much greater than what we're seeing at the high school level. Sure. And so if you, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's certainly something that takes um, time to develop a skill set to be able to work a game and be flawless. Um, although I, I would I would submit to you that there are no officials out there that work a flawless game. There's always going to be uh, something that is either missed or a judgment that was not taken, um, uh, maybe not not properly assessed or evaluated. Yes, and uh, through your through your years, uh, when would you make your first jump from high school to uh, college uh, officiating? That's a good question. So uh, in high school, um, I I worked 10 years. In my 10th year in high school, I worked the state championship. And, you know, we talked about me playing in the state finals. Well, the state championship game that I worked was West Monroe and St. Aug. Oh, wow. And St. Aug was the team that beat us in the state finals. And so I thought it was pretty ironic that the opportunity that I get to work the state finals uh, would be a team that beat me in high school. And so, uh, yeah, so 10 years um, working in high school. Uh, by this time, Bobby Kiesler had moved on to McNeese. And uh, I remember 
at the end of the game that we got beat against St. Aug, Bobby was very emotional. And the one thing that I hung on to was that um, he, he promised to be there for us if we ever needed anything in life going forward. And so I remembered that, and I picked up the phone, called Bobby Kiesler, and said, Bobby, I just worked the high school championship game, and I think I'm ready to work college football. And uh, he said, give me 10 minutes, and I'll call you back. Um, he called me back in about 30 minutes and said, hey, someone from the Southland Conference is going to call you. Uh, he says, I can't get you hired, but he said, I can surely get you looked at. Open a door. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what ended up happening. And so uh, a guy by the name of Jim Blackwood, who was my first supervisor at, uh, in the college level, uh, called me and, and basically invited me to go and work a scrimmage at Nichols uh, University. And uh, at that scrimmage, he was going to send his number one referee, who happened to have been out of Baton Rouge, uh, to observe me since uh, Jim was in Dallas. Uh, that's where he resided. And uh, he didn't want to make the trip into uh, Louisiana to see me work, to see if uh, I had the ability to work. He wanted one of his guys to look at me first. And uh, Paul Martin was the uh, referee. And Paul um, invited me not only working that scrimmage, but to finish out the spring season with Nichols. So I worked uh, two scrimmages and then Nichols' um, equivalent of the red and white game, um, which would have been their final spring scrimmage. Um, after that game, uh, Paul Morton didn't tell me he was going to make a recommendation to Jim Blackwood uh, for him to pick me up. Uh, but what I later found out a couple months later when Jim Blackwood did call me uh, was to t that, that Paul Morton um, – spoke highly of me that Paul Martin um, said that I could work, but, but more importantly that uh, – uh, and, and I guess one of the biggest attributes that, that any supervisor will look for is that does this person have the ability to mesh with the rest of the guys that are going to be on the crew? If you have a guy who's a, you know, a solo performer out there, it's never going to work. He may be a good official – but when you're going to get into a tough game and you're going to be needing to rely on other officials uh, to get the thing right, um, they, they needed to know that I was that person that would be able to do that. And so Blackwood basically called me, said, look, I don't have a spot for you on the roster. He said, but uh, I will be able to assign you a few games. And at the time, uh, the Southland Conference, a full schedule was uh, 10 games. And uh, I believe that first year I ended up with five games. So I, I was, you know, I was working high school football. I was working Southland football. Uh, by the way, there are two sets of rules. Uh, in the college game, they play NCAA rules. And in the high school football um, game, they play federation rules. And so there are some, uh, some big differences in the rules. And so I was a little concerned about working high school football and uh, getting the rules right for also the NCAA. So uh, <laughs> I cheated a little bit and figured if I was going to screw up a game, I was going to screw it up in high school. I wouldn't have <laughs> screwed up. You didn't, you didn't carry a copy of the rules in your back pocket by any chance. So. No, 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 no. So that first year, um, yeah. So and this I, is approximately 1990? That would have been 97. Somewhere in there. Okay, mid-90s. Yeah, 97 right. would have been the first season in the Southland, five games. Uh, the next season, I ended up with a full schedule. Um, ended up working a quarterfinal uh, game in Montana, probably the coldest I've ever been, even uh, considering the games that uh, I had worked uh, and, and played in before. Um, and then uh, the second, the third, third year in the Southland Conference, I did I worked a semifinal game. Um, and then the next year was the inaugural season season of the uh, Sun Belt. Okay. And uh, at the time, uh, Dan Bloom was being considered um, uh, director of football officiating for the Sun Belt. He didn't end up getting hired. Um, a guy by the name of Don Lucas got hired, but uh, Don leaned on Dan Bloom for talent in this particular area. 
Um, Don Lucas was also good friends with Jim Blackwood, and Blackwood uh, basically said, you need to take this guy. And so I was on the initiate, uh, initial uh, inaugural season of the Sun Belt, worked there for two years, had two bowl games, the Liberty Bowl and the Silicon Valley Bowl. Um, and that's when Don, um, Don went to Bobby Gaston, who at the time was the SEC um, uh, basically foot, football director and basically told um, uh, he told Bobby Gaston, look, if you don't take him, the ACC is going to take him. And I think at that point in time, uh, we had maybe three Louisiana officials working in the SEC, and uh, Bobby Gaston jumped on it. And, again, that was another situation where I only had a half a schedule in the SEC, so I worked a half a schedule in the SEC, a half a schedule in the Sun Belt. Um, and then the following year, ended up working a full schedule. Got in the SEC in 2002, so I've been doing this for quite a few years. 20 years. Yeah. Now, my question to you is that uh, did you maintain a, as a side judge or a back judge, or uh, were you moved around uh, through the course of your uh, officiating, uh, through the course of your 25-plus uh, years in college football? Yeah, so so the the idea is that you master one position. So right. um, supervisors don't like to move officials. Um, what ended up happening, I was working uh, back the back judge position, which is in the middle of the field on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, in high school, I worked as back judge, was taken into the Southland Conference as a back judge and worked the back judge position in the Sun Belt. When I got to the SEC, they took me in as a field judge, but then moved me to back judge in that first year where I had full schedule. Um, by that time, uh, the SEC was starting to look at officiating in the same way the NFL looks at, at officiating, and that is they want to have the tall, thin guy in the middle of the field that looks the part, that looks really? like a defensive back, that looks like a receiver, right? And uh, obviously, I didn't fit. <laughs> at, at five foot seven, I didn't meet that protocol, right? <laughs> Uh, that profile didn't uh -huh, fit I hear you. So, um, so they ended up moving me to side judge, and I've been at the side judge position probably now for the last 20 years. Okay. The last, last 18 years. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I, I, back in the 70s, I did a little high school basketball officiating, and the, the key point was that you have kind of like a tunnel vision. You're looking at an area where you're – is that the same p protocol with regards to uh, collegiate officiating too? Yeah, yeah. So everyone thinks that, you know, officiating, everybody just kind – the officials are looking at the entire field. Well, that's an improper assumption. Um, our, our, our mechanic has us looking at one specific player at the snap of the ball and then once the play develops, we then go to zone coverage. Um, and so the idea that we are spectators of the game is basically a false assumption. That's right. Um, we basically, um, once the game gets kicked off, all we see is colors. We got a white, a team in white, and we got a team in some other color. And basically, that's how we officiate the game. You know, I, you know. I, I often get questioned about some of the talent that I've officiated over the 20 years in the SEC, which, quite honestly, is is pretty amazing talent coming out of this league. Um, to this day, I can't tell you, you know, any one player who has just floored me about their ability. I take that back. There is one. Um, there was um, – Oh God, no! The guy, the kid's name uh, slips me, but it was at a scrimmage for, at LSU, um, where the kid, when he jumped, his feet felt like they were at my shoulders. I mean, this kid was just phenomenal, and uh, so you know, the the whole idea that we, you know, that we're in awe at the talent that we uh, officiate is is just a false premise because, in essence, we're not spectators of the game; we're actually watching our um our our area that we're supposed to be so you could probably remember numbers better than names That's in that regard uh, with true. games uh, just the course of the games uh 
we, uh, we're just about ready to take a little break. Hopefully you'll stay with us for another segment. But uh, with regards to uh, uh, your officiating, as you mentioned, you already mentioned uh, uh, that, uh, you know, when do you usually arrive for games? Like the night before? Do you all go through uh, talking about the particulars uh, with uh, certain kids and all? And uh, how does that come about? Uh, That's a good question. You know, oftentimes people think that we just show up for the game, right? We show up on Saturday mornings for a 2 o'clock kickoff or a 7 o'clock kickoff. Well, that's, uh, that's not really how it works. Um, the crew that I've been on, we're a bunch of golfers. There's uh, of the eight guys on the team uh, of our crew, there's uh, five of us that play golf on a regular basis. And so, uh, as you can imagine... Uh, going into some of these SEC schools, there's some pretty awesome golf courses around. Oh, so, you bet. Uh, so, uh, so early Friday morning, uh, I normally take first flight out, especially if we're playing golf. Uh, we'll have a 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock tee time. Um, the conference office has us as a mandatory arrival time uh, showing up um, around 6 or 7 o'clock. Uh, oftentimes you'll see crews arise, arriving any time in the afternoon after 12 o'clock if they don't have anything happening. And so uh, one of the things that's pretty unique um, is that, you know, everyone goes to dinner together. Uh, so there's someone on the crew who's responsible for making reservations. And um, so during that, um, that time, we'll have dinner, we'll come back, we'll do a rule study. <coughs> and then uh, do film review. Uh, we'll spend two two hours on Friday night um, doing that kind of stuff. We'll wake up the next morning and do pregame, and the pregame is basically looking specifically at each team that um, that is playing. And you know, as a guy who's working in the defensive back, what I'm what I'm looking for in our film review is how aggressive are both teams going to play defense, you know, or are they going to be in press coverage most of the time? You know, Alabama, LSU does a pretty good job of the majority of the time stepping up into press coverage, and um, depending on how good the receivers are, we'll determine how aggressive they get with the receivers. And so, you know, all of those things we're looking at to see if they're using proper technique, to see if they're getting an advantage. Um, because the whole thing that, that we're to do is to make sure that no, no one team is getting an advantage over the other team. And so if we've got a good receiver and we've got good defensive backs, um, we want to make sure that you know, neither one of them is getting an advantage uh, by, by using improper technique or mechanics. And okay, so, all right. Uh, Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, you're listening to Bayou Sports here with our guest, uh, Jesse Dupuy, a Southeastern Conference official, and I've uh, got a few more questions for him here in the next segment. So, so stick with us here on Bayou Sports. We'll be right back after this. Hey, guys, if you're looking for the top golf experience in Iberia Parish, you need to look no further than Cane Row Golf and Turf Club. Low or high handicappers will enjoy the beautiful greens, the recently refurbished sand traps, and incredibly plush fairways. And by the way, you don't have to be a golfer to enjoy Cane Row. The brand new clubhouse sports some of the best burgers, pizza, wings, and many other choices along with absolutely the best, most potent margaritas that you've ever tried. So whether it's golf, food, or just some fun, come to Cane Row and enjoy. The Quarter Tavern is the premier spot for live music. The Quarter Tavern, recently named a top 10 bar in Louisiana by bestthingslouisiana.com, they said you'll have a whole night of fun at Quarter Tavern. This popular hometown bar in New Iberia always serves up a great time. Quarter Tavern, 910 East Main across from McDonald's, the best drink prices in the very domestic beer, just $2, imports $3 all day, every day, other than during bands and special benefits. 19 TVs has you covered for the NFL playoffs and no bar with more outdoor seating. Quarter Tavern, 910 East Main. Nowadays, none of us can be without adequate insurance coverage, but we still want to be sure we're getting the best value for the money. That's why so many people call the Schwing Insurance Agency to get a quote. The Schwing family has been handling the insurance needs of businesses and homeowners for almost 80 years. You can depend on Schwing Insurance to find the coverage you need at the best price. So before you buy a new policy or renew an existing one, call the Schwing Insurance Agency for a quote at 365-2357. Schwing Insurance, 300 East Main, across from the shadows. Hi, this is 
is Boxcar Badger, inviting you to join me and PGA Golf professional Teddy Slyman for Chip Shots. Mondays from 5 to 6 p.m., we'll take an in-depth look at the local, state, and national golf scenes. And we invite you to chip in with your calls at 367-1240. Chip Shots is sponsored by the Coca-Cola Bottling Company, GolfBalls.com, and our local golf clubs, Eagle Ridge, Kangaroo, and Sugar Oaks. So let's make a tea time for 5 p.m. on Mondays for Chip Shots on Kane. Stream us live on Kane1240.com and catch the podcast the next day. Now back to Bayou Sports on the all-new Kane 107.5. Welcome back to Bayou Sports here on the Big Hump Day, uh, Wednesday, January the 11th. Uh, with us as a guest this morning here for another segment of Bayou Sports is uh, Jesse Dupuy, an SEC official, and uh, who's uh, called uh, been in the SEC uh, approximately 20 years, uh, give or take a year or two. And, uh, and you, uh, you, as you mentioned, uh, you came in as a uh, back judge, or I should say a lot mm-hmm. sideline judge, and then now a uh, back judge uh, through the course uh, of your officiating crews. And uh, uh, I'd heard, uh, you know, I knew you were an, uh, an official and an SEC official over the years, and uh, my interest in you were to bring you in today, uh, of course, uh, you called uh, one of the officials in the Cotton Bowl game this past uh, last week, last Monday. And, of course, uh, Tulane took on USC in uh, the Cotton Bowl match. I think it was the 87th Cotton Bowl match back in uh, last Monday at uh, noon. And uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that? You know, I know you attended LSU for a year, and uh, that's one of the reasons why you cannot call their games and uh, also attended USL. And, uh, uh, you know, you were kind of restricted, as you said, as the years went on. It got a lot more if you uh, attended or a fan or whatever the case may be, you couldn't call that team. And that's, that's pretty much understood. But with regards to uh, – uh, I heard you say you coached uh, – or coached, you officiated a Liberty Bowl game. Yeah. And uh, besides the Cotton Bowl, any other uh, bowl games, uh, some of those uh, bigger bowls, you ever had the chance to do an SEC championship game? Uh, in 2017, I worked the SEC championship, Alabama, Florida – uh, I've worked the Peach Bowl. I've worked the Liberty Bowl, as you mentioned. I, I, I think for the last uh, 15 years, um, I've worked one bowl or the other. And as you know, uh, these bowls have a tendency of changing names. But uh, for the most part, the only – you know, I've worked the, uh, uh, the Fiesta Bowl. So – um, you know, I, I guess the one bowl that I haven't worked that really is on my bucket list is the Rose Bowl. Um, I'd love to work the national championship game, but I, I, I don't see that's going to ever be in my card as long as we have an SEC team that's going to be in the top four. Uh, they're not going to assign the SEC. In fact, I will tell you that I think the last time the SEC had the national championship game, was like in 2008 or nine or something like that. So it's been plenty of years um, that we've been excluded from working that game because we've had an SEC school uh, in the top four. Yeah, that's understood too. And uh, if you, we even noticed that, you know, when I call, Jeff and I call high school playoff games, you always have the officiating crew from outside the area of the two teams that are playing if it's uh, two teams in south louisiana you'll have someone from monroe or shreveport or possibly alexandria calling the games and uh that's just the way it works and that's understood uh in that regard yeah i mean they, they try to remove any appearance of a conflict of interest right and so um it makes all the sense in the world even like from a bowl assignment you would think uh-huh. that uh any sec team that plays in a bowl assignment you're never going to see an sec crew crew work in that game um, you know, during the regular season, they've even gotten to the point where these um, kickoff classics, if you would, uh, that are played on neutral uh, uh, places. Yeah, Florida uh, State LSU uh, this past year. Exactly. That was a Big 12 that worked that game. Uh, you know, it was an ACC school, an SEC school, and a Big 12 working the game. And so, you know, they, they, try, they, they try their very best to make sure that uh, the appearance of a conflict of interest is removed. And, and during their season, when you have an SEC school leaving 
uh, SEC territory going into play, maybe an ACC. Let me, I'm a U South Carolina, Clemson, for example. I worked that game last game of the season. And that's a big rivalry yeah. too. People don't realize. Very big rivalry, and it, it it's it usually what ends up happening when they draw those contracts up. They also put in the contract who's going to officiate the game, and with the SEC, the SEC and the ACC, um, uh, it was basically determined many years ago that the traveling team would bring the officiating staff and so um, today that still stands and there are some schools and some exceptions but for the most part any time that uh, an SEC school school, uh, is traveling the SEC uh, officiating staff and so you know one of the most interesting games and though it wasn't much of a game was the uh, Vanderbilt uh, UMass game Um, so we got to go up to uh, Boston. One of the guys <clears throat> that works in the SEC is a big uh, Coca-Cola executive, and he got us into uh, the Boston to a Boston Red Sox game. And uh, and so you get all of these, you know, these things that get thrown at you during the season uh, just because you, you're an SEC football official. And I think, you know, it's after a while you sort of take it for granted, but you don't take it for granted, you know. Um, you know, it's like playing golf. You know, when we go to these, when we go to Georgia, we go to, you know, Vanderbilt, or we go anywhere. Um, oftentimes, the courses want to comp our golf, and then um, oftentimes we don't let them do it because, they, you know, we, we think that that might be a conflict of interest. And, you know, of course, they laugh at us and say, no, we're not trying to pay you off. We just want to let you play golf on our course. And, of course, you know, they – they discount the rate, and we'll take the discounted rate. We won't take the free rate. I understand that. <laughs> well, uh, Jess, I know you had the opportunity, uh, and I'm interested in your thoughts and what you uh, perceived uh, with regards to Tulane taking on uh, Southern Cal, uh, Southern Cal, a tradition-rich football program, of course. Tulane at one time, uh, maybe uh, a half a century or more, or I should say 75 years ago, was a blue blood, but uh, they've uh, – they turned uh, athletic uh, sports away at one time, and uh, here they are taking on one of the Blue Bloods up in uh, Tulane, having a pretty good year in that regard. And uh, what were your thoughts and uh, your thoughts on the game and the outcome and all that? Uh, just uh, We've got about a few minutes uh, to talk about that, and tell us that uh, before we let you go. Yeah, so, so going into the game, obviously we scout both teams uh, as we do on a normal or regular season game. We try to get as much film on both teams as possible uh, going into the game, knowing that you had the Heisman Trophy winner that's going to be in the game. They had some stud receivers, and they had, um, by all looks of it, they had all the skills, right? They had all the the, the big-name players. And so, um, you know, the the whole thought of of people not really – unless you were a two-lane follower – uh, throughout the season, you didn't hear much of Tulane, right? Uh, they play in a conference that is not considered a power conference. And, and so them winning the conference, um, really, I mean, no one really gave it a, a whole lot of thought. Right. And um, when, when, you, when you look at them on film, <clears throat> again, nothing really stands out. I mean, it, that Tulane team reminded me a lot of the 1980 New Iberia Senior High team, and that was there wasn't any big-name players on that team that really just kind of stood out. Um, and so when you look at them on film, nothing special. They're not aggressive, um, although they got the job done, right? You look at the USC film, and you see a couple players. I mean, you see some guys who can get it done. I mean, uh, Caleb Williams. I mean, that, that, that quarterback, you know, whether you like him or you don't like him, that kid could play. And whether he beat you with his arm or he beat you with his leg, you had to be in the play from beginning to end because he was never going to be, you know, out of the play. So you, from an official standpoint, um, you know, we had to make sure that we stayed with our receivers uh, to make sure that uh, no one was getting an advantage or disadvantage. And so um, so going into the game, that's, that's pretty much what we looked at. Um, from my perspective, the defenses didn't look aggressive. The cornerbacks didn't look like they were going to be um, aggressive on press coverage. And so, um, so, yeah, so just going into the game, it, it, you know, it's funny because I've worked 
one rated against number two rated, which happened to have been two SEC schools. And so you go into these bowl games really thinking, you know, we're much bigger ball games than these bowl games. Um, but in this and in this one, it seemed like it was going to be like an Alabama playing a Vanderbilt. I hear you. Um, just because it seemed like USC was going to outpower uh, Tulane. But as the game progressed, it became very apparent that Tulane came to play. And maybe USC maybe took them for granted that, you know, they were going to be able to walk all over them. And, um, and so it was fun. I mean, we, um, uh, it was one of the most exciting games I ever worked. Uh, and I've worked some it, it just this year, I worked the Alabama-Texas A&M game where Texas A&M drives it. We have a, I have a defensive pass interference call in the end zone with like five seconds left, which then brings Texas A&M down to the two-yard line, gives them one more shot to score to win the game against Alabama, right? Big shocker. That game was pretty exciting, but this two-lane USC game was just <laughs> off the chart. It and, was. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the one thing that really surprised me, though the game was in Dallas, um, I expected Tulane to have a few people there. Mm-hmm. There was a boatload of <laughs> Tulane people there that really made it exciting. Um, you would expect USC to have a good traveling um, uh, visit, uh, uh, fan base. But uh, that stadium, I don't know how many that stadium uh, how many people that stadium holds. But what I will tell you is that uh, it wasn't a full stadium, but the noise level was to the level of a full stadium. And uh, it, it was from, you know, from beginning to end, the two lane fans were in that ball game. And uh, uh, so, yeah, so it was um, really exciting. Um, and the whole bowl experience, work being this being the first time that I worked the Cotton Bowl, um, was was pretty nice because uh, the guy who was our host, um, and, and, and just to give you a little bit of information of how this all these all work, uh, the bowls have board of directors. The board of directors then have subcommittees, and um, the subcommittees are. Um, broken out, and one of the subcommittees is the host who will be taking care of the officials. Yeah, I, got, I call him an uncle. Yeah, there you go. Well, the uh, in the Cotton Bowl, the guy who was our host uh, was a guy that I worked college football with 22 years ago oh, in the wow. Sun Belt. Oh, wow. And so it was our reunion to get back together, and um, he took care of us, and of course, you know when you go to a bowl game, they give you all these gifts, a little swag. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. that's right, but, that's right. And um, you know they have these hospitality suites, not only for the officials, but for the all the people, the families that they that you bring, and um, you know they bring you to dinner, and and so there's two or three days you get to do participate in some of the team events, and so you don't have to. Um, and you know, you bas- they basically give you three or four days of, of sure. accommodations, and so. Well, yeah. I want to ask you one last question. We'll let you go. We appreciate you coming in uh, here on a hump day or Wednesday. Uh, got a text from someone asking me: Do uh, do the officials talk to individual players before games about things uh, they see on film or saw on film? Um, so it depends. You know, we'll talk to um, we we won't talk to players about their mechanics okay uh, meaning that if if i see a cornerback is using techniques that break the rule okay i will not have a conversation with him about that okay that's that's a coach's responsibility we don't we do not want to coach the players okay but if we are playing we have a two o'clock kickoff and the sun is going to be in the eyes of the receiver when he accepts the punt We'll go and talk to those guys. Okay. Uh, we're going to tell them what we feel is an invalid signal, what's a valid signal, and give them instructions about that. Okay. Uh, but as far as having conversations with players, you know, we'll chat them up, right? Oh, yeah. Um, we'll chat up the coaches. Um, uh, you know, and that's all about creating relationships um, with, with, you know, the people on the field. Um, but as far as giving instructions or – or 
telling a cornerback, hey, I saw last week's film and, you know, you were holding a lot. We, we do not do okay. that. Uh, okay. We do not coach them. Okay. Anyway, Jess, we want to appreciate you coming in today and talking uh, through a couple segments here on Bayou Sports and hope to maybe have you back one day and uh, get your thought process through uh, other things that uh, with officials do and, uh, and say. And, uh, again, appreciate you coming in today. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, you're welcome. Anyway, you listen to Bayou Sports here on Kane Radio, FM 107.5, AM 1240. We'll be back uh, with more right after this. I am Jacob Lander, and I'm tired of seeing Louisiana fumble away good paying jobs to our neighbors across the Sun Belt. That's why I'm running for state representative of District 49, because bringing opportunity back to Louisiana is a touchdown for all of us. As your next state representative, I will work hard to expand vocational training programs so that all of our people can have the tools to succeed. I am Jacob Landry, and I am a proven job creator. All I need is your support and your vote. Paid for by the Jacob Landry for Louisiana campaign. Is it time for a new roof or to repair the old one? Hi, this is Jake Blanchard with L.A. Classic Roofing. We're a third-generation roofing contractor that has been in the business for over 70 years. As a locally owned and operated company, we're also licensed and insured for your peace of mind. We offer free estimates and a $100 referral fee for full roof replacement. Check us out on Facebook at L.A. Classic Roofing. And the number to call is 465-3888. L.A. Classic Roofing, professional roofing solutions since the 1950s. The Quarter Tavern is the premier spot for live music. The Quarter Tavern, recently named a top 10 bar in Louisiana by BestThingsLouisiana.com, they said you'll have a whole night of fun at Quarter Tavern. This popular hometown bar in New Iberia always serves up a great time. Quarter Tavern, 910 East Main across from McDonald's, the best ring prices in the very domestic beer, just $2, imports $3 all day, every day, other than during bands and special benefits. 19 TVs has you covered for the NFL playoffs and no bar with more outdoor seating. Quarter Tavern, 910 East Main. Celebrating 75 years in business, Danos has been setting the standard for generations. Become part of something bigger. Join the team. We're currently hiring for a variety of offshore positions in both our production and construction divisions. And you can apply right now at danos.com or call us at 1-833-GO-DANOS. Great jobs, great people. That's Danos. Are you an enthusiastic sports fan? Want to have fun and get in on the action? Heck yes, that'd be awesome. Have great attention to detail? Want to stay active? Definitely. Want to give back to the student-athletes in your community? Obviously, yes. Then you'd make an excellent high school sports official. We need more officials in Louisiana. Because with no high school officials, there are no high school sports. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Now back to Bayou Sports. Phone lines are open to talk sports at 367-1240. Welcome back to Bayou Sports, our last segment here on Kane Radio, FM 107.5 and AM 1240. And uh, again, want to thank uh, Jesse Dupuy for coming in this morning uh, over two segments uh, talking about officiating uh, and his ways of how he came through the uh, system uh, as a high school official. So someone listening, maybe uh, in your late 20s, early 30s, want to think about getting into, uh, we could use some high school officials, Jeff, in this area. You know that as well as I do. And uh, there's a shortage, and uh, he even mentioned it, uh, games being played on Thursday night because of that shortage. Yeah, that LHSAA promo. That's right. PSA that we run uh, talks uh, about that. There's a few that rotate in there, but I think, uh, and I wasn't paying close attention, we were talking to Jesse uh, as he was on his way out the door, but um, they were just talking about it there, the need for high school officials. That's right. Uh, so uh, you, uh, some of you younger people out there want to get involved uh, in high school officiating, the ladies too, for that matter. Uh, I've seen many ladies now uh, calling NFL games. Yep. They're out there, so uh, you'd like to get involved in officiating. Uh, I'm sure you'd have to go to the Louisiana High School Athletic Association's website and contact them, but I'm sure they're looking. Uh, but, but, but again, uh, there's different associations. Sure. Uh, you may start there with the Lafayette Association or whatever the case may be, wherever you are. Yeah, that's right. So uh, encourage people, get involved. Uh, that's the youth today, uh, they, the need for officials. You know, you'd hate to see uh, uh, schools not be able to play because there aren't enough officials to accommodate uh, the various high schools, and whether it be football, basketball, volleyball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just not uh, that. So we encourage uh, young people, get involved. It's, it's a lot of fun, and believe it or not, they'll throw you a little paycheck to, to start off with. And if you're uh, interested in, in, in 
furthering yourself uh, uh, as Jesse has. Uh, it might not be the NFL, but it could be college or other sports. So uh, we encourage that. So uh, in the meantime, uh, last night I saw a couple things, Jeff, uh, interest me. Uh, the NBA last night, uh, the Heat went 40 for 40 on free throws last night in a game uh, uh, they played last night. 40 for 40. That's, that's an NBA record. I think before then it was 39 for 39. I think it was Jazz up in Utah that it set that. Of course, uh, we talked about some high school scores, uh, NFL playoffs coming up, uh, uh, Carlos Correa <laughs> bouncing around, <laughs> finally accepting a deal uh, in that regard. So, uh Anyway, NFL playoffs this weekend. Uh, they got Saturday games now, so uh, if you don't want to miss them, they've got uh, six games on tap as uh, the number one seeds have a bye in each the AFC and the NFC. So uh, a lot of games. College football uh, is over. Of course, they'll have some senior bowls and all-star games as the pros want to look at some of these kids. So in the meantime, I don't know if you saw of anything else uh, with regards to that, before we get into our today in sports history, Not, nothing really breaking, uh, but uh, did see just a moment ago. Uh, we we're talking to Jesse, uh, a local high school official, uh, Moose Bonan, celebrating a birthday today. Is he? Yes. Well, happy birthday to Moose. That's right. Uh, I've seen him on the hardwood uh, at Catholic High, uh, calling a few games, uh, running around there. Moose, uh, happy birthday to you. In the meantime, uh, today in sports history, January the 11th in 1915, Jacob Rupert and Colonel uh, Tellinghass Hudson purchased the New York Yankees for 460000 Rupert pays his portion in cash. Hello. Of course, he went on to uh, own the Yankees, I think, completely as he took out the colonel. wonder what their association was. Uh, I even think uh, Rupert was called a colonel at one time. Uh, they called him Colonel Jacob Rupert. So maybe uh, they served in the military together at one time. Uh, and on this date, 1953, J. Edgar Hoover declines a six-figure offer to become the president of the International Boxing Association. You imagine J. Edgar Hoover running <laughs> the box knock ain't. Anyway, in 1959, on this date, in the ninth NFL Pro Bowl in the L.A. Coliseum, the Eastern Conference beats the Western Conference 28-21. MVPs of that game, Frank Gifford uh, from the Giants and Doug Atkins. Former Bears defensive end and Saints player back in the day. Still remember Atkins, even in his later years with the Saints, he was throwing offensive tackles around like drag dolls. I mean, it was amazing what he could do at 37, 38 years of age. On this date, 1963, San Francisco Warriors center Will Chamberlain scores 67 points in a game at the Kyle Palace. Elsewhere on this date in 67, San Diego is granted an NBA franchise to be called the Rockets. Of course, they moved to Houston for the 71-72 season. Elsewhere on this date, and I remember this well, over at Tulane Stadium, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Vikings 23-7. MVP of the game, Lynn Dawson. can still see him smoking cigarettes on the bench during that game, folks. That's right. Anyway, in 1973 on this date, the American League adopts the designated hitter rule and forever started changing the way they played baseball. Ron Bloomberg, of course, the first DH to bat with the Yankees back in 73. Elsewhere on this date in 77, the Cubs trade outfielder Rick Mundy to the Dodgers for Billy Buckner. Of course, everybody remembered Rick Mundy picking up the flag uh, out in Dodger Stadium from two particular fans who wanted to burn it. Elsewhere in 1981 in this date in the AFC Championship at Jack Murphy Stadium, Oakland Raiders beat the San Diego uh, Chargers 34-27. to I'm trying to remember, was that the game Winslow just had a fantastic game, the tight end for uh, the Chargers and just about uh, collapsed on the field later on. He had a tremendous game catching balls, running for yardage, but the uh, I think the uh, – was that Air Coriel then, too? Uh, I would imagine. Yeah, they got year. beat by the Chargers. Uh, the Raiders beat the Chargers. On this date, 1983, can you believe the Yankees hire Billy Martin for the third time? Of course, he got fired two more times, I do believe. Elsewhere in 1987 on this date, uh, the Denver Broncos beat the Cleveland Browns in overtime 23-20. to uh, of course, uh, Denver goes on to play in the uh, Super Bowl and gets beat. Meanwhile, in 87, the Giants at East Rutherford take down the Redskins and now the Commanders 17 to nothing. The largest crowd in the history of Giants Stadium at that time. Watch that game. Over 76,000 fans. And this date, 98, the Broncos beat the Steelers 24-21. In the NFC, the Packers beat the 49ers 23-10. Of course, the Broncos go on to win the championship and uh, get uh, John Elway a Super Bowl ring. 
Elsewhere in 2016 on this date, uh, number two Alabama beats number one Clemson 45-40 to in the championship game. And also in this date in 2021, uh, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Alabama beats Ohio State 52-24 to to claim the national championship. Birthdays on this date, uh, uh, Lil Ben was born on this day. Ben Crenshaw, the Masters champion in 84-85, born in Austin, Texas. Also born on this date in 1974, the guy that hit the home run that the LSU Tiger fans will never forget. Warren Morris, born on this date in 1974. And a death on this date uh, in uh, uh, they came to a term uh, as you got pipped. Wally Pipp was, uh, died on this date in 1965. Of course, he was the man that uh, had an upset stomach and let Lou Gehrig take his spot. Played in 2,100 consecutive days in that regard. In the meantime, quoted today from Kirby Smart. He said, at the end of the day, if you're not uh, beating teams on the road recruiting that you have to beat on the field, then you're probably not going to win many championships. And right now, Kirby Smart is beating everybody on the recruiting circuit for players. And, Jeff, that's today in sports history, January the 11th. There you go. Kirby Smart uh, saying yesterday that, uh, it's going to take a total rebuild to uh, win a third uh, national championship game. He thinks he's got a lot of work in front of him. Well, I tell you what, with the players he's got, of course, he loses his quarterback, who's won two in a row. Of course, as I mentioned, another top player declared for the draft yesterday too. Yeah. So hey, anyway, uh, Stinson Bennett, twenty-five years old. Yeah, uh, that's that's older for. Sounds like a BYU player. Uh, as they go on missions and come right, back to right. play when they're 24, 25. Anyway, today in sports history, Jeff, uh, back to you. All right. As always, thanks to our guests. And today, Jesse Dupuy, SEC official. Appreciate him joining us. And, of course, we thank our sponsors, including Jacob Landry, candidate for state rep, District 49, L.A. Classic Roofing, the Quarter Tavern, Cane, Cane Row Golf and Turf Club, and Schwing Insurance.